uh, the book of Hebrews now, and if you don't have a Bible, uh, and put your hand up and one of the stewards will bring you one, so you can be really helpful to have one in front of you this morning. I'm going to turn to Hebrews chapter 3, and you'll find this on page 1202 in the church Bible. So if you need a Bible, just put your hand up and we'll get you one. How will we keep going as Christians? We can probably think of some people who once sat in a congregation like this with us, sang the hymns. They, they seem to be really rejoicing over the gospel. And yet today they are they're no longer here. And they don't seem to want to follow Christ. And maybe some of you have had that experience. It's agony. You've kind of You've met with someone, you've discipled them, you've read the Bible with them, they seem to have made progress, and it's get to a point where they just say, look, I, actually, I, I, I don't want to pursue this anymore. Not interested in following Christ. I've known men who have shipwrecked their faith, who were once church pastors. I can easily think of five or six people like that. I think of one guy I, I, I trained with. He was a great preacher. He was very likable, great Bible knowledge. He became a minister. And as the years went on, it became clear that he was being serially unfaithful to his wife. He eventually asked her for a divorce. Obviously, he's no longer a minister. And I'm not even sure he'd call himself a Christian. How do we keep going? in the Christian life. What does God's word have to say to us? Well, I would suggest to you that Hebrews chapter 3 is a great chapter to look at. We began last week considering the first six verses, but I want to read from there so we get the, the sense of this whole chapter. Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray. And they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, 
they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. It's a brief word of prayer. Father, we've heard your voice in your word. Lord, would you help us that we would not harden our hearts, but we would have soft, obedient hearts that want to keep following Christ. Speak to us now, we ask, through your word. In Christ's name, amen. So given that we are aware of those who seem to have given up and stopped, we must pay careful attention this morning then to both the encouragements and the warnings of the Bible and specifically of this part of the book of Hebrews. Hear the encouragement. Verse 1, we considered it last week. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, he addresses them as real Real brothers and sisters in Christ who share in the heavenly calling. That's the encouragement. And verse 6, we are his house. We are God's household. We are part of God's family. But hear the warning of verse 6. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. And that same note is, is struck in verse 14. I'm sure you noticed it. We have come to share in Christ. How encouraging. We really have come to share in Christ. The warning, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. So it's great that we once prayed the sinner's prayer in the past. It's wonderful that we once got baptized but the question is this, are we holding to the same original conviction about Jesus today? Have we still got the same confidence in Christ today? That's the, the critical question. And my prayer, really, as I've been preparing this week, is that God would help us through this sermon to help persevere in following Christ. Don't give up in your confidence in Jesus. Don't give up your original conviction. Don't miss out on the hope that is held out for you by Christ in the future. See, that's the purpose of this letter. 
he's writing to a bunch of uh, Hebrew Christians who uh, were from a Jewish background, and yet they were beginning to face sort of storms of opposition, and they were facing the temptations to turn back from Jesus and turn back to their Judaism where they wouldn't be persecuted. And so practically, uh, the writer wants them to stay safe. He wants them to persevere. And uh, he addresses both their minds and their hearts. And we considered their minds last week. Verse 1, they are to fix their thoughts on Jesus, our apostle and high priest. I hope as you picked up the mail this week, you remembered uh, that someone sent that to you and you thought about the one that God sent you, the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you fixed your thoughts on uh, our great apostle and high priest as we considered last week. This week, we're going to consider how he addresses their hearts. And verses 7 to 19 really stresses the importance of guarding our hearts. If you can move the slides on, David. This is, uh, this is not... Next one. This is not so much uh, about uh, watching your cholesterol level and avoiding bacon and double cream. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? It's not about the amazing muscle that pumps blood around your body right at this very moment. When the Bible talks about your heart, it's talking about what motivates you, what it is that you love, what it is that, 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 that makes you move forward, that drives you forward. It's what you live for. That, that's what the Bible means when it talks about your heart. And if we want to persevere as Christians to keep trusting Jesus, we need to guard our hearts. Have a look at verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. This verse confronts us with a very scary sort of spiritual pathology of the heart. It starts in verse 8 by hardening our hearts. And if we persist in hardening our hearts, it moves to the point where, verse 10, our hearts are always going astray. And if we keep persisting in that way, we end up in verse 12 with unbelieving hearts that entirely rebel against God. And that puts us in a very dangerous situation where if we persist in this way, actually, we make God angry at our rebellion. And we miss out on the hope of heaven. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to give you two tips for a healthy heart that will finish well. Two tips for a healthy heart, not tips. They're actually commands from the Bible. So that's more than a tip, isn't it? Firstly, take care to do God's words. Take care to do God's words. We began at our service this morning by reading Psalm 95, or well, the first seven verses. And this section really is a long application of the second half of Psalm 95. And uh, Psalm 95 here is kind of condensing the history of Israel from when they were freed as slaves in Egypt and they were uh, wandering through the wilderness towards the promised land. And Psalm 95 kind of captures and summarizes that 40-year journey. 
Of course, it was only supposed to take a few months, but it ended up taking 40 years. And out of 1.5 million people, they estimate, who were freed from slavery in Egypt, how many of those original adults made it into the promised land? The answer is two. Two made it. They made a great start. Uh, they were led by Moses. They saw incredible signs and wonders. Uh, the ten plagues. The Red Sea opening up. Walking across it as dry land. The Egyptian army swallowed up. They were fed with sort of amazing uh, manna, miraculous bread. They, they saw a pillar of uh, cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to, to, to wander through the wilderness towards the, the promised land. They experienced uh, so many incredible things. And yet when they hit difficult days, it didn't take long before they started grumbling. Oh, my friends, we think grumbling is, uh, is, is insignificant, but it's not. They started grumbling against Moses. Uh, and actually, really what they were doing is that they were grumbling against God and about his big plan of, of redemption and salvation. And they almost started grumbling. You know, they saw these amazing things, sang about it, wonderful, it's amazing. And then they hit the first difficulty where they didn't seem to have enough water, and they started grumbling. Why did we leave Egypt? And they, and they grumbling got so bad that, that Moses was worried they were going to kill him. They tested and tried God. God called that area Meribah, Massa. And that wasn't just a one-off event. Actually, if you read through the, uh, the, the history of the wanderings from Exodus through to Numbers, you'll, you'll see that there was a repeated pattern of this all the way through. And so they stood on the very edge of the promised land. And uh, 12 strides went to spy in Canaan. How many were bad? Ten were bad. Two were good. Anyway, that's fine. I won't sing anymore. Um, and, and they chose to hear the report of the, of the ten guys. And they said, why did we ever leave Egypt? We're going to go back. They stood on the very edge of the borders. And they grumbled and they grumbled and they re rebelled against God's big plan. And so they were sent on a 40-year trip because God promised, on oath, you will never enter my rest. That's, that's what's being captured in Psalm 95. They'd made a great start, but that wasn't enough. Their stubborn refusal to, to hear and believe God's word just led to this final point of God saying, you will never enter my rest. And, this, and, and someone wrote a psalm about this. And in fact, this psalm was sung at the start of every synagogue gathering. This is the song they sang. Come, let us worship God, our maker. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. And, and then they spoke about this. Today, if you hear his voice, do not rebel. So it's amazing. The first song they sang, they, they sang about the complete failure of their ancestors. It's quite a thought, that, isn't it? Not, not very positive, is it? Let's sing a song about how our great-grandparents were, were hopeless, shall we? That's what they did. Why did they do that? Because it was a, an urgent reminder that it's not enough to come and uh, worship God with your lips if it's not backed up uh, with ears that want to hear his voice and hearts that want to respond with obedient lives.
You see, that's true worship. It's not just about coming together and singing some great songs with a great band or, and going home and thinking, well, that's it. No. It doesn't mean anything if it's not backed up with ears that will listen to his voice and hearts that want to respond with obedient lives to what God has said. And this psalm really is urging and warning us not to copy Israel's example in the wilderness. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. God was angry with that generation because their hearts were always going astray. So God declared they shall never enter my rest. Now verse 7 hits home that this is exactly the same challenge for us today. Look at it. So as the Holy Spirit says. Now if you love systematic theology, there's a couple of great big points here as side notes. One is actually, this, is a, this tells us about the Trinity uh, because... Um, the, the Bible is clear that God speaks uh, the, the scriptures and yet it's ascribed to the Holy Spirit here. So uh, we believe in the one God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But more significantly here, I want to say that notice the present tense. As the Holy Spirit says. He's quoting, and even for them in the first century, a really old psalm. And he doesn't say, as the Holy Spirit said in the past. He says, as the Holy Spirit says. God, through his Spirit, was still speaking these words to the Hebrew Christians in the first century. They'd made a great start in their Christian lives. They'd followed a far greater uh, person than Moses. They'd put their trust in Jesus, the Son of God. Uh, who had come to rescue them from their sins and, and to lead them through life to the eternal rest of heaven. They made a great start, but a great start was not enough. They had to keep going. We need to keep trusting him through, even when it becomes difficult and challenging and hard. And that present tense, verse 7, tells us that God is still speaking these words of Psalm 95 to you and to me today. We heard God speaking to us today as we read Psalm 95, as we read these very scriptures. You see, the Bible is not some ancient dusty book from the past. It is a fresh voice from God in the present. This, this warning to the Jewish people in the synagogue is a warning to the Hebrew Christians in the first century. It is a warning to us at Charlotte Chapel in the 21st century, this very day. We need to take care to do God's word, especially when we're facing testing times of trial and suffering. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now, how do you respond Sunday by Sunday uh, if you come here regularly? How do you respond when you hear the Bible read and preached? What is it you're thinking about uh, when church is over? Um, are you thinking, well, hopefully you're thinking, oh, enjoyed the sermon today. Maybe you're thinking, that was a rubbish sermon. Oh, that was a great illustration. He wasn't very funny today, was he? Now, none of those points have any relevance, really, do they? If we've understood what is being said here. If that's all we're thinking about, we've completely missed the point. 
Our job as members is not to be sort of like judges on Strictly, assessing the preacher's performance. Oh, a lovely uh, passage. I don't even know what, I don't even watch it. I don't watch it. I can't bear it. But, you know, we're, we're not there to go, f- you know, five, six, and then we go home. The point is this. Have we put God's word into practice? If we've heard God speak to us through his word, this is the real question. Have we put it into practice If we hear the voice of God as we read the Bible, as we hear it preached, we need to take care that we do what it says. We need to avoid the paths that God says are wrong and dangerous, and we need to keep going in the ways that God tells us that we should go. Now, now for those with a tender conscience this morning, and I know some of you really do, as soon as we sort of talk about maybe some people not making it, everyone's thinking, oh, it's me, I know it's me. You know, I want you to reflect on this. The generation of the Israelites who missed out on the promised land, it was not because of one or two lapses of obedience. Bit by bit, they kept hardening their hearts against God's voice. Bit by bit, God's voice had an ever-decreasing impact and effect on them. Where God eventually gets to the point and says, well, their hearts are always going astray. And that persistent hardening turns into this rebellious unbelief that turn away from the living God. So, for those of the tender conscience who are just thinking about one or two mistakes you've made, that's, you know, that's not the point. This is a steady, ongoing hardening of our hearts against God that we're talking about here. It is a warning to us about the danger of coming Sunday by Sunday and yet never responding to what God says to us. Of having the ability to read the Bible but never doing what it says. There is a great danger and warning to us if we're in that situation. See to it, verse 12. See to it. Watch out, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. They missed out on the promised land. Even Moses didn't get in. But that moment from history is to provide a warning of a far more dangerous missing out. There's something bigger than inheriting some soil in the Middle East. This is a warning of failing to listen to what God says about his son, Jesus, and failing to continue to trust him as our savior will mean that we will miss out on the new heavens and the new earth. So my Christian friends, this is not about a one-off slip in our obedience. It's a warning about a steady hardening that ends up rejecting Christ completely. That's what's being challenged before us this morning. God is warning us today not to be careless about the way we listen to his voice, not to allow ourselves to keep drifting. And so quite simply, if the Bible is clear that we should do something, do it. If the Bible is clear that it's something we shouldn't do, don't do it. So where is your heart this morning? I would imagine a room this big with this many people We'll have hearts in all sorts of different states and stages. 
Where's your heart this morning? Are you here this morning as somebody who's been hardening their heart? I've noticed a, a stage in parenting. I won't highlight any particular child. Uh, it's a tendency of, of all the ones I've had. And it happens around the teenage phase where you speak to your child and they seem to be able to just tune you out. Have you noticed this? You're, you're talking, but not a, a single thing is being heard. Are you listening to me? We have to ramp it up. Take those headphones off. Are you listening to me? And of course, the, the only time we really know that they're listening is when. When they do what we've asked them to do, right? That's, 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 that's the real evidence that they're really listening. It is a very dangerous thing to be screaming God out. And then friends, we need to listen to this warning. Don't harden your hearts. But listen with a desire to obey God. That's the first point of keeping a healthy heart that will finish well. And the second is linked to it. It's this, keep encouraging each other. Look at verse 13. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You see, we really need each other if we're going to finish well. We're very skilled, I think, at being able to talk to each other without ever talking about anything particularly significant or meaningful. Particularly men. I think we're very skilled at this. Uh, in a couple of weeks, Sharon and I will be going with a few others from here to the Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches, their leaders' conference uh, down in Torquay this year. And uh, I've had this experience where I've gone with Shona in the past, and uh, I end up talking to, the, to, the, to one of the, another, another pastor, and Shona's talking to his wife, and we have a chat, and then we go away, talk about later, and, and Shona says, gosh, they're having a terrible time, and he's almost thinking about throwing in the towel. And he never said a thing to me. Things are going great, yeah, yeah, fine, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, well, and th th there was a completely story. Well, do you know what? We come in this room, and you look around, and everyone brushes up pretty well, on the whole. And, uh, you know, we look like we've got it together. And you look around, everyone's singing, everyone looks like they're happy. There are people here who are wondering about walking away from Christ. There are people here who are going through trials and temptations and persistent sin, and they're wondering if they're even a Christian. Now, one of the great reasons we gather is to worship our great creator, God, corporately together. But another great reason that we gather is so that we will encourage one another. Uh, this is why we do the coffee time thing. It's not particularly about the coffee. I don't know whether you know this. Maybe you're getting shakes. <laughs> I'll be fine with another coffee. Maybe it is that. But the coffee is just an excuse for you to stand there so someone can talk to you. So that we can have these conversations where we can encourage each other. See, the great problem is that sin is very deceitful. That's how it's described there in verse 13. Hardened by sin's deceitfulness. 
Uh, it's deceitful in lots of ways. It promises to give us what we want. It promises to give us pleasure, freedom, satisfaction. And after sort of a temporary sense of those things, it results really in misery, slavery, and dissatisfaction. And it also blinds us to the serious consequences of our actions. It blinds us to the damage that our sin will do to the people around us and especially to our relationship with God. We're very skilled at justifying, yeah, well, this thing is not very good for other people to do, but it's okay if I do it. We, we blind ourselves to serious consequences. There may be some small doubt, but we push conscience aside and we pursue it with lots of excuses. It's only a small thing. Oh, it's relatively harmless. No one will know. You deserve it. You're worth it. And we follow our sinful desires into darker and darker places. And that's why we need each other. Because actually we are blinded by the deceitfulness of sin. And it's quite obvious and plain to others. You know, if we were to express out loud what we are doing and what we're thinking of doing, our friends who love us would say, Are you crazy? Are you mad? You're going to do great harm to those that love you. You're going to do great harm to yourself if you head down this track. And we need each other to know each other sufficiently well when we begin to notice that our friends are... I know there's something wrong, and I need to pursue them. I need to go after them. We need each other if we're going to make it to the end. We need each other to encourage each other, to, to point out evidences of God's grace. We kind of feel that maybe God's at work in everybody else's life, but there's not much evidence in my life. And actually, that's not right. And we need to help each other see evidences of God's grace in each other's life, to encourage each other as well. We need each other. We've only got a limited amount of time. Um, verse 13. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. We don't have all the time in the world. And while we don't have to be constantly intense with each other, that would be too exhausting, wouldn't it? Life is too short not to want to encourage each other to keep pressing on to live for Christ. That's why we have growth groups. That's why we have time out. That's why we have international fellowship. We get into small groups so we get to know each other. And we apply God's word. We think about the what of the text, the so what, the application. And then the really important step is we move on to the now what. How does this specifically apply to your life? What is God specifically saying to you that you're going to do in response to his word? We want to encourage that sort of obedient listening to God's words. It's why we as elders get worried when people stop gathering with us, meeting with us as brothers and sisters. It's why we pursue people. It's often a, a sign that something is spiritually wrong. It's why I'd encourage you to become a member because actually if you're just a regular attender, we don't know that you want us to pursue you and care for you. How you show that you want us to care for you is you become a member because then we'll pray for you as elders and we'll watch out for you and we'll, we'll try and get alongside you. Sin is deceitful. Our hearts can become hardened against God's word. Hard hearts go astray to such an extent that we can get to that point where we'll turn away from the living God. 
So let's take care to do God's words. Let's keep encouraging each other. And specifically, let's encourage each other to fix our thoughts on Jesus. This is why the chapter as a whole works. It's not our grip on him. It's his strong and mighty grip on us. You know, the child crossing the road, uh, the little toddler, you don't let the little toddler grab your little finger to cross the road. You grab their wrist and their hand, right? And God's got his grip on us. But have you got the inclination to put your hand in his hand? Or are you always trying to squirm it out? Fix our thoughts on Jesus. Guard our hearts. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firm to the very end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your Holy Spirit has spoken to us this morning. Lord, help us to be specific about how we apply it to our lives this day. That we would not let this moment pass by. That our hearts would not get harder but softer. Our ears more attentive. That our lives would worship you, not just with our lips, but the, the whole of our lives in the rest of this week. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.